Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without creating division in community. I am your host, Matt Fisher, and I am here with my co-host. It just it makes it sound like you're my sidekick, which is clearly not true. <laughs> I'm the co-host, and you're also the co-host, Mr. John Wagler. Yeah. John, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm tired today. You've been working. You've a worked lot. 80 hours this week already. <laughs> it's Thursday. This week. Yeah. <laughs> and about to film the sermon and got to get in the right mindset. If you yeah. include parenting as work, which I do. <laughs> which everyone should. Yeah. Yes. Man. That's why whenever I hear people like, Oh, your wife's going to stay at home. She doesn't work. I'm like, like, you're an idiot. She works harder than you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, she doesn't have an office that she can shut the door to and watch YouTube for 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, you're tired. I am feeling fairly refreshed, actually. Sun's back out, which is nice. That is beautiful. Um, I love that we talk about the weather at the beginning of this, like pretty often. <laughs> pretty often. When I feel like you and I are both people who would give the advice to someone else to go deeper and like, don't just yeah. talk about the weather. Well, because we know we're always going to get there. And yet. We might as well. <laughs> we enjoy the weather, too. It, oh, it matters. Man. Well, we have a great episode for everyone today, and we're going to try to get right into it um, because it's a longer conversation about, um, you know, the shootings that happened in Atlanta, but but more about the wider um, sort of Asian American experience, both in the church and in culture. We have um, Jonathan Chan on today. He is the leader of Chat here in Richmond, um, and it's just, I mean, this... We don't always pre-record the interviews like before we do the yeah. you know this part of but it. But we did this time, so and we it can is tell you off the charts good. I mean, I think it's a top five easily, easily, top easily. Five. So yeah. we're we're gonna we're gonna get into that here shortly. But before we do that, we're gonna do our new segment for 2021 from the feed. All right, John, I finally have a not terrible thing in my feed. <laughs> You're not going to care about it, but I feel like there are some people who are listening who will. Zack Snyder, who is a controversial at best director, um, who gets paid millions and millions of dollars to make grim superhero movies, which is a weird. <laughs> it's always been weird to me because I'm like, look, I like a deconstructionist Batman as much as anybody. And I like to get into the heady psychology of things like wrestling and comic books. These are cartoon characters for children. Right. Why are they so angry and whatever? Um, he released uh, – he made a Justice League movie. So for those who don't know, Justice League is like the Avengers for DC, for the okay. other company. So it's like all, Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. It's all the heroes together. Well, DC uh, didn't do the hard work that Marvel did of like setting it up over all these movies. <laughs> they were just like, oh, Marvel is doing this thing, so we got to rush and do it. So they released a Justice League movie that was two hours long a couple of years ago that people were like, this literally doesn't make sense. It's uh, like watching an art film. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't understand what this movie is. It makes no sense. Well, recently, the director came out and was like, they took the movie from me. It's supposed to be four hours long, and that's why it doesn't make sense. And he somehow convinced the people at HBO and Warner Brothers to let him finish the movie and then released it, I think, this past week. So huh. it's a four- Hour. I mean, you've watched some of these movies with Max and Dea, yeah. right? Like, imagine if one of them was four hours long. How has it been received? I think the general consensus is it's not as bad as people thought it would be. Mm-hmm. It's definitely everyone across the board. I think is um, definitely acknowledging that like this is the self indulgence of a slightly self important guy okay <laughs> you know of a guy it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there's definitely a, a sense of it of like how dare you expect me to sit down and watch this like who who are you yeah um but i think in general people are like kind of surprised that they got to the end of the fourth hour and we're like you know what 
I had a nice time watching that. That was it wasn't as dark as some of the other stuff he's done. It definitely had more hope. I think my personal opinion, which would relate to this podcast, I was talking to Lamont about it the other day. One of the things with this guy in his movies is like he doesn't he makes Superman seem like a problem. Hmm. But like Superman is literally a, a Jesus analogy. Like non-religious people would agree that super, the point of Superman is like that he what do you do with a guy who is all powerful and also totally a good dude right in a broken world like that's the thing with superman he's a messiah you kill him yeah well yeah or you make him mean for some reason (laughs) (laughs) yeah you try to kill him yeah exactly um and for some reason i feel like maybe Zack snyder is working on some deconstruction himself (laughs) but i really wish he'd quit taking it out on superman right and just make a nice happy superman movie um but yeah man i watch i watched it in increments 30 45 minutes at a time and then Jenny sat down and started watching it, and I kept telling her, I can totally turn this off. It's dumb. And she's like, I'm kind of into this. Yeah. And so we watched the whole thing, and uh, there were some terrible things in it, but yeah. overall, I had a nice time. It was, huh. a, it was a nice way to spend four hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I, You know how you are ashamed of how much time you spent on something? Yeah. Like, sometimes you just, like, you click on a Twitter conversation, mm-hmm. like, why did I do this? Mm-hmm. And there's no redeeming value, and... You're kind of embarrassed. I did that recently. (laughs) I got roped in. I don't even think it was like, it wasn't even, if it was longer than two seconds, it was too long. Right. But I went a little too far of like maybe like 10 minutes. And like Candace Owen and Cardi B beef (laughs) on Twitter. (laughs) Twitter beef is hard to get away from. I got roped in and I just, I was like, what what else did she say? And I just went back and forth and I was like, what am I doing? I got it. And so I quit it, but. That anyway. felt like the first three hours of that movie. <laughs> and then by the fourth hour, I was like, you know what? This is fine. That's funny. I thought you were about to explain to me or uh, confess to me that you've been watching The Bachelor secretly. The best thing, I have to say this, uh, the best thing is reading people. People live tweeted watching that movie. Uh, <laughs> and people reading people's live tweets while I was sitting there watching it. One person watched it with the, the subtitles on. And... Uh, I mean, you know this from other movies. Anytime there's a desert scene or there's a certain scene, there's like the like Middle Eastern chanting, like oh, yeah, ah! yeah. Um, in the Justice League movie, whenever Wonder Woman is on, Wonder Woman is on screen, that music plays, and the subtitles say brackets ancient lament <laughs> <laughs> or like ancient lamentations. <laughs> so there's all these screenshots of Wonder Woman, and it just says below her ancient lamentations. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that was fun. We are going to get into a much more serious conversation, and I just can't overstate how powerful um, this interview is um, with Jonathan Chan. So, without further ado, here it is. Y'all know we stay curious over here. Here, 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 here. All right. We are here with our friend Jonathan. Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into kind of the meat of the conversation. Just give us the, the elevator uh, Jonathan pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Uh, you, you all have done a really great job with this podcast. Uh, I'm Jonathan Chan. I'm currently the executive director of Churchill Activities and Tutoring, also known as CHAT. And in that role, what we do is we work with hundreds of ch- children and youth in the East End of Richmond, primarily black, primarily low income. And what we're trying to do is help underserved kids really unlock their God-given potential. And so we provide a variety of programs, including an independent Christian high school, after-school programming, a workforce development program, and just all around helping low-income, underserved youth in our city really realize their potential that God has given them to really fully live into the image of God 
and that's intellectually, socially and emotionally, spiritually, uh, and also vocationally. And so that's the work that I'm a part of uh, on my day-to-day, and, th- and that's kind of the, the trajectory of my professional world has been being about kingdom work. I'm really trying to see where are the places in our city, in our world, that I can make an impact to help be a part of God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. So I've been a part of chat now for about four years in a few different roles. Uh, before that was a volunteer there. Uh, I've also worked closely with Arabon and David Bailey and the work that they do and uh, helping put on their first conference a few years ago that I know a lot of people from Hill City were a mm-hmm. part of. And then before that, spent a lot of time in the country of Haiti, working with ch- pastors, church leaders around issues of child protection, human trafficking, and then also really advocating for the role um, and the security of women in the church. And so that, that's kind of been the arc of my work. Uh, out, outside of that, uh, I'm married to Katie. Uh, I'm the father of Isaiah, who just turned 19 months. Wow. Yeah. I was about to say. Uh, yeah, not 19 years. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, what? yeah. Wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 19 months. Yeah, we're still in that, that phase <laughs> yeah, where we're just yeah. knocking down the months yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and looking at the milestones. Um, yeah, and uh, for most of my life, been here in Richmond, obviously been, you know, was born and raised here, uh, was away for a number of years, but came back a few years ago to just be a part of what the Lord is doing here in the city. Mm. And so, yeah, grateful to be here and grateful to be with y'all. That's awesome. There, I'm just going to give Chad a shout out because like if, if you guys are listening and they're a wonderful organization to support um, in any way, like whether that's volunteering there or financially supporting. And, um, it's an, a lot of times I'm like, there are a lot of good organizations out there and you wonder, like, can you trust them? But it's always like so satisfying when I talk about chat. Cause I'm like, you can trust them, yeah. you know? And it's like such a wonderful yeah. thing because of your integrity as an organization, but also, you know, the history that of all the great things you guys have done and it's awesome. So if you're looking for somewhere to volunteer or support, like they would be an awesome one to do so. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. My perception of chat has always been that it's like the kid who can sit at any table in the high school, like chat is (laughs) at that level. I feel like in Richmond in general, like whether it's in church or like street level organizing or whatever, like I always hear good, like chat has always spoke of well in in different circles, which is great. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, so, uh, Jonathan, you, um, can proudly consider yourself a part of the Asian American community. Um, now, uh, thing I want to help people out with, um, before we get into the meat of it is, um, you know, we're going to be talking about the reason that we're sort of talking about this now is obviously the recent, um, massacre in, um, the Atlanta area of, uh, 10 Asian American folks of, of different heritages. Um, so it's not, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll talk, I'm sure a little bit about how it's not a catch-all, but a lot of people have been seeing this term AAPI, which I just want to make sure everybody understands is Asian American Pacific Islander. So absolutely a big family of people. Um, um, But for you, what is your, so that we don't, so that we don't like sort of perpetrate putting people into a milieu. um, What is your particular sort of heritage and and background, family background? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, You're absolutely right. The Asian American community, the Asian American Pacific Islander community, covers just a huge swath of experiences, of ethnic groups, uh, of countries of origin. So for me, you know, my particular heritage uh, is Chinese. My parents immigrated to this country back in the early 70s. Mm. Uh, My dad born in southern China, my mom born in Hong Kong. Uh, And so my dad ends up fleeing 
uh, southern China after the communists take over him and his family. And so, you know, my parents meet in Hong Kong, and they came to this country as immigrants, uh, as, as a part of the scientific community. And so I would be somebody who's considered a, part, a second generation uh, immigrant, a second generation Chinese American. So I was born here. I was raised here. Uh, English is my first and primary language. And like many immigrants, uh, you know, we all claim varying degrees of identity with our country, uh, our parents' country of origin mm-hmm. in particular. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's different for a lot of different people. But that's my particular uh, experience. Did other, did other family members come with your parents when they immigrated over as well? In our family, it, you know, it, we have a, a few different kind of extended family relatives who are here in the States as well. Okay. Um, but that was, it wasn't a, uh, they, they didn't all come together. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, from my personal experience, my nuclear family here in Richmond, myself, my parents, my two older sisters, uh, we kind of made up that, that family unit here. And for the most part, if we wanted to be connected with the rest of our family, we had to go back to Hong Kong uh, in order to visit to see yeah. them. Just out of curiosity, um, and this, with your faith background mm-hmm. and being Christian, like was that something, were you raised in the church or did that come at a later time? Great question, yeah. My parents became Christians when they were in graduate school here in the United States oh, okay. through the outreach of a church that was trying to reach out to, to foreign students, to Chinese mm-hmm. students. And so I grew up like, again, like, like many second-generation immigrants, straddling these two worlds in almost every area of my life. Hmm. And so church was a, was a good example of that. We were a part of uh, the Chinese Baptist Church, which is on the south side. Uh, grew up there. Uh, my parents were a part of the founding of that church. But also, you know, for many uh, immigrant Christians, also really connected with uh, a white American church here in town. And so we split our time. And so we ended up spending a, a, an excessive, I would say, probably, yeah. amount of time in church. So Sunday morning <laughs> at, at one congregation, <laughs> Sunday night at oh a different God, one, yeah. Yeah. Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. Uh, and then, you know, the, what's unique for the well, – maybe not unique, but, but what is particular about the Chinese immigrant experience is that you have people from different regions who speak dramatically different right. dialects. And yeah. so Saturday nights, you know, one Saturday a month, we're part of the Cantonese language group. Right. And then wow. another Saturday, the English language group. But there's also a Mandarin language group or, or a Taiwanese language group. Yeah. So, so that, that for, for us, that was one of the primary ways in which my family engaged with the Chinese-American community here in Richmond at that time uh, yeah. in the 80s and the 90s. It's interesting. I think that's um, when we did college ministry, we had some Korean students yeah. like as part of our ministry and they would, they also went to the Korean church mm-hmm. and they, and one of them helped us with worship and he would always, he was like, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm there twice on Sunday. He's like, we do Friday night. We do our Friday night services are like two and a half hours long. We do Monday night and Tuesday night. And I was and it. My first reaction was always like, man, that is so much. But then the more I heard about it, I'm like, there's some beauty to like the community that begins to happen and being around each other so much. And it's like a legitimate, like, no, 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 we are like, we are a real community. We yeah. don't just like pop in and out of each other's absolutely. lives. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah. There's a beauty to that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so Jonathan, for you, when you, you know, woke up that morning and, and read the news about 
what happened in Atlanta or whenever you sort of consumed that news. Um, For you, just, and and we always say, like, for people to keep in mind, there's not a monolithic experience Mm -hmm. for anybody, (laughs) especially for minorities, right? And, And as you've well described, like, even saying, well, for me as a Chinese person, not a Korean person, even to say of Chinese descent means... So many could be Cantonese, could be Mandarin, could yeah. be South China, could be Hong Kong, you know, yeah. Taiwan. But for you as Jonathan, who who is an Asian American person, what what was it for you? How how did you process it? What were your thoughts? What do your thoughts continue to be regarding um, you know what happened outside of Atlanta? Yeah, I think for me, the moment for me was uh, that Tuesday night. And I did the thing that you should never do, which was, you know, check Twitter yeah. before you go to bed. Right. Uh, because inevitably you're going to see something, hear something, read something that is unsettling. Um, and, and that's what that was for me. Uh, saw the news, saw that it was breaking, saw that there wasn't a ton of information, but, but that it was already clear that uh, people of Asian descent had been targeted or really affected by this. And it was there. It was the sinking feeling in my gut that takes place when you have been anticipating something mm. for quite some time, and now it's finally happened. Mm. And and there's almost there, there's not so much a shock, uh, but it, it's like this deep weight being dropped deep into the water almost, uh, and just this plummeting feeling that then ripples out over time, and, and it, it is still obviously rippling uh, for me. And so the next couple of days, you know, just kind of multiple waves of unpacking for me, not just the moment, but the year that has been leading up to this moment, uh, and, and just the rise in anti-Asian, anti-AAPI, mm-hmm. Uh, hate incidents with the rhetoric that we've heard even from the highest office in the land and my my own life and, and, and just being brought back to different life experiences uh, and then really unpacking the different experiences that other Asian Americans are having, uh, particularly, you know, with this, uh, with this massacre. It's not just uh, race and ethnicity being packed into it, but it's also gender and sexual exploitation. It's also class. Um, And then for somebody being raised in the church, being raised um, part of the time in a conservative, Baptist, almost entirely white church, to to then hear that the shooter came out of that similar background. Um, Yeah, that all all of those things Mm -hmm. just kind of hit. And so it's touching for... For me, for my family, uh, for so many Asian Americans, it, it, it's touching all these aspects of our experience. And so, it, yeah, there, there are these very distinct moments for me of confusion, of uncertainty, um, of grief, of anger, of frustration, uh, deep questions. And, and so all of those, that, that kind of full spectrum of experience um, for me. Yeah, that's great. When, when you... You know, you said that like there was going to bed like there was like, man, it was like the culmination of things you were anticipating. Yeah. You know, like there was like an eventual a feeling of like eventually something's going to happen. Yeah. What are some things that played into it um, 
I know there were some recent things you can reference, sure. you know, um, but does it even go back further than, you know, maybe as a kid or whatever yeah. too? like, what are some things that like had, you had that feeling of like, at some point this is going to culminate, you know, and yeah. in, in something big. Yeah. I, I think for me, it is, it is the personal experience. And then the way that my personal experience has also interwoven with the kind of the macro level historical experience, mm. Uh, for many of us as Asian Americans, uh, you know, my intertwined with all of my earliest memories it was the understanding, the perception, and just the lived experience uh, of being a perpetual foreigner, of always being perceived as somebody who wasn't from here. Mm. And, you know, many uh, AAPI individuals can relate to this. It's the, the question, where are you from, really? Mm. Oh, where's your family from? Oh, oh, your English is so good. And it's, uh, I mean, yeah, my English is, yeah, <laughs> yeah great. Actually, my Chinese yeah. isn't that yeah. good. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the questions around, uh, oh, oh, you, what do you eat at home? And, and, and what are the implications of that? The, um, and, and so that has always been, for me and for many people, uh, th- this, this experience of, of being a perpetual foreigner no matter what I do, no matter how long my family has been in this country, always seen as somebody from the outside who can't truly live and inhabit the American experience. And so we, we've see, I've seen this play out in my own life in, in t- terms of those experiences. I, I really remember vividly um, 1999, uh, the Women's World Cup, U.S. women play Chinese women for the mm. final um, I, I think that was happening in the summer, uh, and I was in middle school. And, you know, one of the jokes that was going around was saying that, you know, that, that I didn't know who to root for, mm. right, or that, or that I was rooting for both sides. And, again, I, you know, middle schoolers, being middle schoolers, you know, you, you make jokes, you, you, you say things, and so I don't want to attribute too much negative intent, but, but it was playing into that stereotype, playing into that experience. There were adults who said that. And I think what was even more painful, what, what made that even sharper for me was that one of the other things that was going on in our country at that time was that there was a, a Chinese scientist named Wen Ho Li. He was a nuclear scientist who had been working for the Department of Energy, working for, and I think the Department of Defense, working on uh, nuclear weaponry for the United States. And he was accused of selling secrets uh, to the mainland Chinese government. And it... it, it very clearly turned out that he had, it was definitively proven that he did not do this. And yet there was a significant uh, effort to essentially frame him for this. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, my, my parents were scientists, you know, I remember them talking to me that year saying like this, you need to know that this is going to be your reality mm. if you're ever in a field like this. Here's somebody who, who wasn't, who, who was born in Taiwan, who, who wasn't born in mainland China and was being, scapegoated for something that had happened um and and so though that like that divided loyalty that perception of divided loyalty uh that perception of always being a perpetual foreigner just really hammered home that even in something as minor not minor but but even something as um that didn't have a ton of geopolitical stakes as as the women's world cup that that i would always be seen as somebody who was maybe rooting for the other side, yeah. playing for the other side, and and that I didn't truly belong here because of my ethnicity, because mm-hmm. of the color of my skin. 
Mm-hmm. And so that, that that's really one of the clear formative experiences for me um, of this on top of just, you know, all the things that get said on the playground or in the gym or on the court, mm-hmm. um, all the kind of the mindless stereotyping uh, yeah. that takes place. Those, those, yeah, the, the, those kinds of experiences um, really stick with me. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, with that, can you talk about um, what it was like for you, like in church? Like, you know, you say you spent a good amount of time in White Baptist, predominantly White Baptist church as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that experience and what that felt like, even like other Christians and everything, of just being that almost feeling always on the outside or you know, kind of that dual element that was happening there. Yeah, yeah. I think my experience in straddling these two worlds of a Chinese Baptist church, a white Baptist church, uh, was that there was an implicit assumption, an implicit um, undercurrent that there were certain things about being a part of a white American Baptist church that were better than being a part of an Mm. immigrant spiritual community Mm. that the white Baptist church was more theologically sound, Mm. more theologically Mm. rigorous. Uh, The preaching's better. The style, this is more biblical. This is more accurate. This is, this is more of what God desires uh, from this church community that, that the, the immigrant, the, the, the Chinese church community would to some degree always be lesser than because we had needed these, white Americans to bring the gospel to us, to support us, to teach us, um, and to really define what church meant for us. That's good. That was, that was not something that w- was really stated explicitly, mm-hmm. but, but it, was, it was just part of the undercurrent. It was what was in the water, and, and it was what we were kind of all imbibing and understanding um, kind of at the root of of our religious, of our spiritual experiences, is that everything mm-hmm. kind of had to go through um, the gatekeeping um, uh, uh, of white Christian men mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in order in order to be valid, in order to be uh, authentic, authentically Christian. That's something that you know, Matt and I have talked about this too. Like that's something that I think for Western Christians, this is brand new information. You know, that is like just coming out because, you know, we saw this in the Methodists recently when you're realizing there's a worldwide, you know, denomination of something and everything. You are now seeing, um, I think it was from Africa. I think the pastor was from Africa. He got up there and he was like, we don't need another (laughs) white American, you know, Methodist preacher to tell us about scripture. Like, you know, like there's, there have always been the gatekeepers. I think it's a great word for that. That's, that's fascinating. I think another thing that I really take away from that part of your story is, and like I think a practical lesson we can learn as like church leaders and like church members is um, we're learning a lot this year about how subtext works. Yeah. So somebody could hear what you just said, maybe from the church you grew up in or whatever, and say, well, I never said that. Yeah. Why did Jonathan hear that? Or sure. why did his family hear that? And, yeah. I, and I understand that. That can be frustrating for people. But we need to remember, especially when it comes to stuff like this, a big thing of what I take away from what you just said is sometimes you have to battle subtext. Sometimes it's about what you don't say. Yeah. And sometimes 
there's sort of a, you know, we say there's sins of commission and sins of omission. Yeah. So sin of commission is literally saying something racist like that. Yeah, yeah. A sin of omission is not saying, hey, you know, uh, the Chan's other church is just as theologically valid as our church. I hope everyone knows that. Right. You know, going out of your way to say that. Yeah. Helps to eliminate hurtful subtext. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think that's a huge thing that we're, like, learning right now is, like, you that there's a there's a element to white culture which is which we're also learning is a lot less about the color of your skin and a lot more about your ability to assimilate into the larger narrative but there's a there's an element of it that is sort of a my like a um, laissez-faire like oh, i didn't do anything right but it's like well in not doing certain things yeah. you kind of accidentally did a thing and that right. doesn't mean you should be like executed for it but also it is okay to learn and yeah does that make sense yeah um another thing that i think is really fascinating um about your sort of larger story is something i think a lot of folks don't think about and i want to hear more from you about um in a second which is the different flavors of racism that exist yeah um so i think that there's a perception sometimes that like oh asian people like asian american people like they don't you know, they don't have um, police violence, as, you know, like un- unwarranted police violence isn't a problem for them. So, like, mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I-, I think these different flavors of racism that, that actually come up in your story, which is um, the kind of racism that might be perpetrated onto an African-American person is sort of says your oppression is part of our narrative. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. your oppression is like as American as apple pie. Right, Whereas right. for you, it's more like, it's not your oppression. It's your otherness. It's your like, yeah. what's also as American as apple pie in a lot of ways is being suspicious of Asian people for being yeah. spies or right. being, you know, just even in term, right back to the internment yes, camps of World exactly. War II, yeah. being here to hurt us for some reason. Right. Yeah. Um, they're two very different narratives, but both equally equally harmful yeah right um for you i have two questions one of them is more of a curiosity and then the other one i think is more relevant um so you work you live in intersectionality you're Mm -hmm. an asian american person who's working with a mostly black community yes um in in the year 2020 which continues on into 2021 (laughs) (laughs) yeah for you do you feel like emotionally and intellectually what happened in Atlanta would would maybe be less impactful if you were not in that intersectionality like is it heavier for you because you are you are day-to-day dealing with what the things we're coming to grips with as we relate to um black people like blackness in this country but then and now does it feel like on top of that now also we're going to deal mm-hmm. with this mm-hmm. or for mm-hmm. you, is it integrated? Like, nah, this is all the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I want to back up really quick to kind of where you started. And, and then I think that I'll kind of ground everything that you've just talked about. Um, you know, when, when you talked about kind of the, this sin of commission, sin of omission, I think another way that I, that I think about or, or, or that, that a lot of times people of color uh, think about what's going on uh, when somebody didn't intend to do something racist. Is that part of what we're part of what we're living in? Is we're all living in a stream, mm-hmm. and there is a way in which that stream uh, runs. There's the water that's in that stream. There's the direction that it is going. There's how fast it is going. You know, this is all 
you know, David Foster Wallace kind of talking about fish and water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, one fish says, hey, you know, what, it's crazy that we're, there's all this water around us. And the other fish says, what, what are you talking about? What's water? <laughs> yeah. What is it to be wet? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what does that mean? Um, it, it is that our culture, you know, because there is a majority, uh, because there's a white majority, that's the direction that the, the water flows. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that determines what's in the water. Uh, that determines the direction that all of us have to swim uh, to some extent. And, and so it, it's certainly understandable, but it, it has this impact of flowing in this direction uh, that white America wants it to flow in uh, to the detriment of any other culture, ethnicity, race that, that, that's integrating into that story uh, of, of what America is. And so I think that a, as a part of that, um, the different ways in which different ethnic groups, uh, different socioeconomic groups, and then e- even me, uh, different individuals within those groups intersect with that. Well, it'll just have really, uh, there, will, there will be aspects of that experience that will be similar, and then there'll be aspects of that that will be very specific and unique. And so, you know, to when you look at maybe like looking at a river that has a lot of rapids in it, you're going you're gonna to see some really specific and unique and individual things. You're also just going to see this just overwhelming um, experience of being washed over, hmm. uh, of, being, of being pushed to the side, uh, of being carried along. And so I, I, I think I can say that generally, mm-hmm. um, and, and then specifically to say that, that in this incident, I don't know that it hits me more heavily because I, I don't want – what I don't want to do is compare mm. – um, compare my experience and say what's better, what's worse, what's harder, yeah. what's easier. Um, I don't want to compare my experience. And then at the same time, I also uh, want to acknowledge some of the material realities of the impacts uh, that racism, that injustice, and, and that white supremacy has had in our country on different people in, in different ways. And so even in this Atlanta experience, you know, I have a particular experience of it as a second-generation uh, Chinese American immigrant who is a man who comes from a background that's upper middle class who has had access you know who I've experienced prejudice and bigotry in a number of very real ways but I've also experienced many of the privileges and benefits mm-hmm. of a country that's aligned and, and been shaped by white supremacy I, I've experienced both of those things mm-hmm. as I've been pressed into assimilating into kind of the model minority stereotype. That experience is different than even the experience of my sisters who, who are Chinese-American women and, and live at that intersectionality uh, of being Asian-American and being a woman in our country. That experience is going to be different than uh, for many Asian-Americans who live uh, more at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale mm-hmm. within the AAPI community we have the highest uh, levels of income inequality uh, of any ethnic or racial group in the country. And so that experience is so diverse and so different. So even just not even bringing in another ethnic or racial group into it, uh, we, we have just these really different ways of experiencing that. To, to your question uh, even more specifically, I do think a- as somebody who, who lives and works in a community that is mostly black, who works with 
uh, many uh, black coworkers uh, who works with students and families that are black. It, it is a unique, I think, experience for me. And again, where it comes back to for me and my own personal journey is living in between these two realities. Uh, once again, prejudice and bigotry on the, on the one hand, but, but then the privilege and benefits of having, to some extent, been able to, been allowed to assimilate uh, in various ways into our society and into the ways that the power structures mm-hmm. uh, and the structures of influence and wealth uh, and just material benefit work. Yeah, that, that is a confusing and challenging place to be, yeah. uh, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to be completely candid. It's yeah. a confusing and challenging place to be. And, and every day what I find that I'm trying to unwind within myself and then unwind within the context of community, uh, spiritual community and, and my work community, it, it is what, how do I show up to this? Mm. There are going to be ways in which I need to show up to this that are going to be similar to how a white middle upper class person shows up to this in saying, I need to unwind and interrogate and undo my complicity with structures and systems of injustice that have created the conditions in which our students and families live mm-hmm. and have created the challenges. Um, and those are, those are, you know, you guys have talked about them on this podcast before, but there are these these economic challenges and these political challenges and, and these racial and social challenges. I need to unwind that. Then there's a unique way in terms of, and I want to be careful here because, again, the Asian experience is so broad, mm. uh, and the black experience is not monolithic either, as, as you guys have certainly talked about, as guests have talked about on this pod. But there, there's a particular... Um, dynamic and relationship between different parts of the AAPI community and the black community. When you see in, in many urban centers that a lot of shops um, are owned, a lot of businesses that serve uh, urban parts, black, low-income parts of the city are owned by Asian Americans. And, and there's a particular dynamic that occurs there of mistrust, uh, of exploitation, uh, of confusion and isolation. And so and so, I, I know I've got to bring that to the table too and I've got to unwind that particular aspect of it. But then I also have to sit again, you know, with this, with this river that is just flowing down and kind of washing over all of us, uh, AAPI, black, uh, Latino, indigenous, that, that a lot of what's happening is being driven by something that's larger than any of us minority, racial, ethnic, socioeconomic groups. And say, so how do we show up to that together uh, in solidarity and be a part of not just focusing on this white American dream, but how do we show up as Christians to the, the dream and the reality of God's kingdom and God's multi-ethnic, multi-racial just and equitable kingdom for all people that we believe is coming here on earth as it is in heaven. And so, again, for me, there's a lot of questions there. There's a lot of daily switching between saying, like, depending on the situation and the circumstance, I'm accessing and engaging a different part of my identity uh, on a day-to-day basis. And, it, yeah, it, it's challenging. Yeah. It, it, it's hard. And... Um, 
That's a word. It's confusing. Yeah. That's a whole yeah. word. Thank yeah. you for yeah. that. Like, so thank you for that. Yeah. That's um, awesome. I have like 15 other questions. Oh my gosh. However, <laughs> I think what you just shared is so dang good. And I just feel like that's what people should end listening on. A hundred percent. I'm just grateful that you came yeah. on. Yeah. I'm just grateful for your heart and even hearing you share your resume earlier, I think everyone's probably like, dang, I haven't done anything. In my life. You know, but like they're, um, big takeaway is yeah. what are you doing with your life? <laughs> no, 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 but just greatly appreciate you coming on yeah, here. Thanks. Um, just loved having you. So thanks. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Yeah. I would just want to name that again, you know, I'm just one voice, one, one person. And again, the API experience is so broad and diverse. And so I, I would be remiss if I didn't just name a few other voices and sources mm. that people can turn to, to hear different aspects of this experience um, and, and and to continue this conversation. You know, I think I, I was talking to a coworker about this the other day and I was saying, you know, so often our conversations around race and justice in the church in America are happening at a 101 or a 201 level. And we got to jump up when we talk about what's happening right now to this 401 level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do want to name just, just some voices, particularly Asian American women who have been really helpful to me as a man in, in navigating these experiences. And so, you know, just a couple of names that, that, that I think you y'all have helped to spotlight through influencers, you know, Kathy Kong, mm-hmm. uh, just being a really important voice for, for Asian American Christian community and for Asian American women in general. Uh, Nikki Toyama Sido who is the head of Christians for Social Action, just, again, one of, one, one of these leaders for us. Uh, you know, I, I would plug my sisters, you know, Tiffany Chan. She just wrote a great blog post for Northside Church uh, that you can see on their website, just talking about from her experience and just beautifully kind of communicating a lot of things that are happening. Uh, and then my other sister, Sabrina, is the head of um, Asian American Ministries for InterVarsity oh, okay. uh, Christian Fellowship. And so... You know, both of them are are, are working yeah. very much so at this intersection in, in ways that I'm not. Yeah, and just to just to name those resources, the Asian American Christian Collaborative is bringing together lots of different voices who 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 can help walk through all these different aspects of the Asian American API experience, and then how do we do this in solidarity with other groups who have experienced uh, the very specific ways that white supremacy and injustice affects all of us that's awesome awesome well thank you so much to jonathan for coming on um thanks to all of you for listening um if you have questions quips quotes comments or concerns you can email them to stay curious at hillcityrva.com if you get a second like and um rate our i always want to say like and subscribe like we're a youtube we are not (laughs) (laughs) If you get a second, hit the subscribe button and rate the show. Share it if you will so that other people can get in on the conversation. And until next time, as always, remember to stay curious. curious.